Welcome to the Peak IDV Executive Series, the video podcast highlighting digital identity innovators, entrepreneurs, change makers, C-suite leaders, and other top executives in the digital identity space. I'm your host, Steve Craig, Chief Enablement Officer at Peak IDV, and this is episode number one. Yes, it's finally here, and yes, you can see that my AI-generated beard also has live inspiration. I like to call it training data. Now, quick... Uh, a public service announcement. This is a video first podcast. So if you're enjoying the audio version, please check out the video recording at executiveseries.peakidv.com where you can watch the full episode, read the transcript and access any of today's resources that we discussed. I'm super excited to introduce today's guest. He is identity industry veteran, Mike Nelson. Mike's been in identity for over 12 years. He founded the identity verification business at MyTech Systems, where he led go-to-market strategy first globally and later for North America. Mike joined Behavio Sec in late 2020 as their chief revenue officer, running growth and go-to-market teams, leading to their eventual acquisition by LexisNexis Risk Solutions in this past May of 2022. Mike is not only the first guest on the Peak IDV Executive Series, but he is also a passionate believer in the importance of digital identity and he recently joined the Peak IDV Advisory Board. So thank you, Mike. Thank you for being here today. Absolutely. How are you doing, Steve? Very well. You might hear a little bit of a twang. I've got a cold that I'm nursing, but uh, can't miss this particular episode. If I would have known you were growing out your beard so much, I, I would have put a little more energy in, into mine for this. <laughs> yeah. We can make a, a race to who, who can get the largest Gandalf the Great Beard going. <laughs> now, Mike, it'd be great if you could give the audience... Uh, more background on how you got started in identity in the fraud business. Yeah, sure. Happy to. So I, I started my career out of school. I was an engineer by schooling. And I started my career as a design engineer, first in the engineer, structural engineering world. And then I moved on to the golf club market where I designed golf products for a company named Ping for many years. And so I start there just because I learned quite a bit about how products were made, how products were delivered, how products were marketed and sold during those kind of formative years in my career. And probably more importantly, I got to learn quite a bit about how to be, how people sold to us hmm. and what, and it formulated my opinions on how I wanted to be sold to. And actually when I moved over to sales, that was a really important formative factor for understanding how to, how people or how I wanted to sell to the market. Yeah. And then I moved into once the kind of internet collided with the, with software and the SaaS revolution began, I got really excited about that. And I moved into that industry and I met as, as it ties into my tech, I had moved to down here to San Diego and uh, was really interested in joining a, a young emerging company in San Diego. And I happened to meet Jim DiBello, who was our CEO at MyTech. And they had some interesting technology around check deposit. And MyTech eventually did very well. But my job was to figure out what the next product was. And that's actually how we started in the identity verification business. And that's how I got my career going about 10 years ago in identity. Excellent. Great background. And now you've been a two-time sales revenue leader in this space. 
what are some of the keys to building strong sales teams and really lighting the revenue growth for a company in digital identity? Yeah, good question. So I'm a big fan of using frameworks to for as a core part of strategy. And a big fan of lots of frameworks. The one I've been using for to build sales team is something called the sales acceleration formula from a guy named Mark Robert. She was a original CRO at HubSpot. And I've used this for a couple of different companies now, but it the core principles or pillars are hiring the right salespeople for the buyer context. Are we early, middle, late stage? The next one is enabling them. So training them to understand buyer journeys and the personas that they're selling to, and then coach them up around your process and the way you want them to act. And then lastly, believe it or not, you do need to feed salespeople leads. And so okay. that framework I've used a couple times in my career to be successful in this space. It's you have to feed leads. It's not if you build it, then <laughs> they come. Is that's not how it works? To yeah, I think to um, the dreams. there's a lot of there's a lot of talk in the industry or in every industry about hey, let's get someone with a Rolodex. Well, that Rolodex goes away really quickly for a couple of reasons. Yeah. A, most people's Rolodex is fairly small, and then B, the timing may not be right for the buyers to buy mm -hmm. your particular solution. It's pretty key to feed those folks leads. So sales partnering with marketing to do that is a big part of the strategy. Great. A little bit more background for the audience. Mike, you and I, we've known each other for over eight years. We met at MyTech where you were driving the identity business, revenue growth, and I joined as a product owner. That was back in 2015 and we had stopped working together around 2019. Now we're already in 2023 and you signed on to be on the advisory board for Peak IDB, what piqued your interest in Peak? Yeah, I think what you're doing at Peak, I think, is something really valuable to the industry. So th there's a few reasons. One, I obviously I, as a sales leader and revenue leader in the industry, I see the huge gap around knowledge around market, industry, use case, buyer journey um, for yeah. sellers. You have worked with me to do some of that at the companies that I've been at. And I really appreciate that. Secondly, is just you. I think highly of you, oh, thank um, you as not only a product leader, but as a domain expert in the space and someone who's motivated to build this company and build a successful company in the space. So I think pretty highly. And then probably thirdly is I've got a lot of interest and passion around coaching. And I think that's been one of my superpowers in my career. And I think this has a lot to do or has a lot of overlap with that. So I'm really excited about mm -hmm. what you're working on at Peak IDV. Yeah. yeah. We collaborated so many times, whether it was for sales kickoffs or QBRs, other training activities. And you were always such a big advocate for bringing product knowledge to your team members so that they could go out and solve problems for their customers. That it wasn't just about trying to drive a deal. And it seems for revenue leaders, this is really key. In our industry, we have this concept of KYC. It's typically for regulated entities to perform diligence on their customers. But I've always seen you as a fan of know your customer as the buyer, like what it is that they're looking for and what they need. How do CROs and enablement leaders broadly 
think about these. I've never been a CRO myself. I've never been an enablement leader. What are some of the key elements of that? Yeah, you bring up a good point. I think it's ironic that the identity verification industry focuses on KYC around a lot of their messaging, yet a lot mm -hmm. of the go-to-market teams actually don't know their customer. And it's not because they don't want to know their customer. They probably haven't sat in that seat, yes. right? We have very few, I think, go-to-market folks in our industry that actually came from the practitioner side and now are and understand the, the depth of those roles, the KPIs of those roles, what they're doing all day mm -hmm. long. So, you know, when as a CRO, as a sales leader, how do I think about enablement? I think about it in three big buckets, and this is how I've designed my programs. First bucket is the market, the industry, the use cases, the buyer journey. What, what is the personas and what do they care about? How do they want to buy? What are their KPIs? Like what's their business look like? The second one is product, our product or our solution that we're bringing to market. Are you knowledgeable and educated about that? The third one is our process. And I'm really excited. One, one of the things I think that excites me the most about Peak IDV is the fact that the product and the process are proprietary to an individual company. At MyTech, I ran a certain playbook for my sellers and marketers. Behaviestech, the same thing. Our product was unique there. But when it comes to the industry and market and the use cases, personas, the buyer journey, that is more generic to the industry. And I think Peak yeah. ID has a great opportunity to help the entire industry educate more in that side of it and help all the go-to-market folks be more, be better sellers and marketers in the space. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that too. You know, we, each company has a unique set of tools that they've built to solve these problems, but the problems themselves are often universal. So whether these yeah. be fraud challenges, fraud rings or regulations, privacy rules, things like that, all of these companies play in, in, in the same world, in the same universe and being able to Keep up with that dynamic environment, I think, is really important to be successful in the space. Yeah. I think, I, I think it's interesting, yeah. too. Our industry is growing, just to add on a little bit. And we're looking for more talent outside the industry. And how do you get them up to speed and whatnot? You do need a strong enablement training program to get them up to speed. Then they interact with the buyer. They learn. It's some combination of interacting with the buyers every day, but also approaching the buyers in a really thoughtful, authentic way, because you know something about their business, you know something about their their job, you know something you know about their use case and the way that they do business. I think that's really important. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And when I think back about our time at MyTech, I watched your organization grow from just a few folks to dozens of really talented hires some from outside of the space. And I definitely saw that building teams was one of your superpowers. What are some of the traits that you look for in individuals as you try to bring them in to be, whether they be leaders within yeah. your work structure or even those that are gonna be out in the field? Yeah, good question. The passion topic for me, for sure. It's hard as a sales leader to pick talent that's 
are not only going to be have the passion and drive for whatever business you're building, but mm -hmm. also be successful. And I look for probably the number one trait is curiosity. A lot of people that know me know that I'm pretty passionate about that. Natural question askers, can they flow a conversation off that? Do they have purpose to the questions they're asking? Can you go from this question to that question? That's a really big one. And people, a lot of people are naturally curious, but it's also mm -hmm. a skill that can be learned. So I think it's interesting. But curiosity is a big one. I look for learners, people that are sort of related, people that are interested in learning about how is that done? How is that made? I think those are great attributes. And then in sales, you got to have great discipline. You do. You got to be well-organized. You got to put the time energy into the outbound prospecting. You got to yeah. put the time energy into moving deals along through the funnel and Obviously, you got to put time, you got to know, can you win or can you not win? And, you know, which deals to stay in and which ones to move along from. So that discipline is really big and as a, particularly as an enterprise seller. Yeah. What do you think about the personality trait of just believing in the mission and really trying to make a difference as part of the, the, uh, I'm probably, yeah, I'm probably neutral on that. I think a lot of people, can come into an organization and not maybe understand it, but through training mm -hmm. and through buyer engagement, I think you can generate a lot of interest. I came into mm -hmm. the identity space from a completely different space and I developed a real passion and interest in identity as this kind of foundational element of security mm -hmm. and the internet by engaging with buyers and understanding their pain points. And so I think you can, I think you can certainly develop that, that yeah. passion. The reason I ask is when I think back to those early days, I started in the identity space in 2015 and you were already working in it before that. It seems obvious now in 2023, like digital identity is so important and just coming out of the pandemic, we saw the rise of, of all of the online transactions explode. Back in those early days, when my tech had been successful or was really ramping its mobile check deposit, what led you working with Jim DeBello and the others to get that identity business off the ground? I think the core thing was we had been, we had some marginal success in mobile check deposit. And we were looking, how do we leverage our technology platform for other markets or use cases? And identity was a real natural mm -hmm. A natural, not a pivot, but a natural kind of product number two. Yeah. We had launched a couple products in parallel. I ran the identity product and some other folks ran a different product. And we started seeing some real value, some strong value proposition interest in the identity product across banks and insurance companies. And we started in doing pre-fill use cases, simple. It was just like data extraction and how do we how do we help people fill out forms more fast and remove friction and things like that? And we quickly moved into more document verification as a replacement for knowledge-based authentication. And the reason we ended up doing that was we just customers we were working with just saw a ton of yeah. in moving in that direction and replacing some of the legacy solutions that they were using at that time. And at that time. 
I know the focus was with a lot of the large financial institutions. What were some of the challenges in those early days as you were crisscrossing the country, meeting with the top banks? Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's, it sounds funny now, but you think about those days, the idea of a, a bank using a third party to snap a photo and, and potentially store an image of someone driving licenses and a passport. And that time we weren't even doing selfies. This was just document authentication. Yeah. That was off limits, InfoSec going through that. We actually, and some people, some others in the industry started with on-prem solutions to alleviate that problem. But that was one, uh, I think just collecting training data was a really tricky thing. How do you collect hundreds of thousands, if not millions of photos of government issued IDs? We had some really creative ways we did it in the early days, but to build up that data set was, I get training data was, I thought was really hard. Those are more on the product side. Um, I think on the growth or pe maybe the people side, finding talent, we were a Southern California based company doing something new that no one had really done. So there wasn't a ton yeah. of people that understood the industry or the problem set or use case. And so finding talent, and we weren't in this big remote kind of workforce that we're in now. So we wanted people in, in this region and it was, I think it was difficult. So we, I say that because we spent a lot of time training people on the business that we were building because we had to, because we just couldn't find a lot of people from our industry at yeah. the beginning. And at that, at the beginning, there just weren't a lot of people doing the document centric identity use cases. I think maybe a handful of companies. And I recall distinctly in like 2016, one of those larger companies filed for bankruptcy. And that was pretty big news. I recall within our company at that point in time, did you think maybe the identity verification market wasn't going to be there? Or how did you think about some of those early market signals, which we know, of course, changed over time? No, I would say absolutely not because we were very customer centric and we were hearing from our customers that the IDV or document-based verification process was high value for them. And so yeah. they wanted us to continue to innovate and build more and more for them. No, we were leaning in at that time. We managed our business very differently than some of the other venture funded companies in the space. And we were in a good, we were in a good spot, but the market was telling us do more. And then looking back in hindsight, you know, there was an explosion of the usage of these technologies. Yeah. <laughs> with, the, crazy. with the past 10 years, well, what else besides <laughs> increasing demand, what has changed? You've now been in IDV, a proofing company, and then you were in a behavioral biometrics company with Behaviosec. What does the last 10 years look like in, in your mind? Yeah, a lot. So first of all, industry growth is incredible. If you were at Money 2020 this year, it felt like an identity conference, which was, it did not, I think I went to the first Money 2020 and it was not even close to that. Yeah. So big shift there, number of people, number of entrants in the space, number of discrete ways to solve these kind of common problems around fraud and identity. The use of artificial intelligence and machine learning has become 
core in our industry. And then on the flip side of that, the fraudsters, yeah. the innovation of the fraudsters and them staying ahead and using more automation and certainly artificial intelligence around deep fakes, or I guess more sophisticated fraud techniques around really social engineering, synthetic identities. I think fraudsters have become way more sophisticated and it requires sophisticated solutions and new approaches to solve these problems today. A sophisticated and coordinated and just you yeah. seem to have access to new technology faster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this time of year, I see a lot of LinkedIn posts from different companies talking about what they expect to see in the year. It's often hard to speculate like what's going to happen in, in a year. But what do you think about the next 10 years? Like, where is this industry going by 2033? Yeah. Good question. I wish I knew the answer, but I don't. But I have a, there's a couple clues in the industry that share my hypothesis. We're seeing real use cases around federated self-sovereign identity. So I think at some point we'll get to that spot where consumers kind of control their identities and their wallets. We got some real tangible proof points with digital IDs and things like that. And between big tech will have a huge influence on that. But I think there's a lot of pieces in there, a lot of infrastructure to solve, but I think that'll be a big one. Um, fraudsters will continue to innovate in more sophisticated ways. I don't think that's going to change. I think there's going to be some consolidation in the market. And given we're a little bit of a soft period now, a lot of mm -hmm. investment came into our space in the last five years. There'll be some, there'll certainly be some consolidation. Customers will continue, will, the buyers will continue to struggle with fraud and need vendors who can not only provide point solutions, but also maybe orchestration layers to, to help. That's been a big shift. I didn't mention this earlier, but a big shift that I've seen. Here's a, here's a pill or a vitamin to solve this kind of one thing versus now it's more of, okay, how do we use these various signals, these various techniques in different parts of the user journey from onboarding mm -hmm. to authentication. So I see that, I see a five-year run for that easily. So I think that'll be a big part yeah. of the market. What do you think about the convergence of some of the digital biometrics tools into the physical world? Do you think we're going to see as consumers in the world more yeah. of that blending? Yeah, yeah. There's a big, passwordless is real big tech aligning or I guess supporting FIDO and some of these, I, some of these new ways to authenticate just make tremendous sense. Always have made sense for years. It's just mm -hmm. the market hasn't been there and there hasn't been that compelling reason, I think, to invest. I see that really big and I see biometrics being a huge piece of that. You come back to the user experience and showing a selfie is the we live in a convenience economy. Yeah. I think there's much more awareness around fraud and identity theft and things like that, but it's still convenience and creating great user experiences still trumps, I think, a lot of that stuff. It's always a balance as you in this industry, but I see the user experience that happens with that continuing to win out and being more prevalent as we move forward. Great, great. This has been phenomenal, Mike. We're coming up on time. <laughs> 
One of the goals that I have in this podcast, though, is not just to go into deep background on the space, but to get to know the person behind the LinkedIn profile. And we've talked about your career at LinkedIn and what you've done, but perhaps you can share something with the audience that you're passionate about, or maybe something that many folks don't know. Oh yeah. Good question. This is the icebreaker in every SKL, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people that work with me over the years know this, but in my ping days, I started out designing putters <laughs> and uh, the first product I ever designed, I was asked what I wanted to name the putter. And I said, a lot of people call me Nelly. Most people in the industry know me as Nelly. And, and they said, that's a great idea. Why don't we call that Nelly? So I have a, I have a golf club putter named the Nelly that, that's named after me. That's amazing, Mike. <laughs> well, bring, time, hey, Steve, I'll, I'll yeah. bring it next time so you can see it. Next time we need to see the Nelly putter come up and we need a 3D <laughs> tour of it. As always, Mike, yeah. I, I enjoy our conversations. Thank you tremendously for joining the advisory board and for being on this first episode. Now for the audience, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, subscribe, share the series. You're going to have more content from industry leaders, from practitioners, from others in the space. And the executive series is designed to give you unique insight that you're not going to get just from looking at someone's profile or from reading an article. You're going to hear about the latest advancements and get that front row seat experience to the pioneers behind the press releases. Um, I'd also like to invite you in an upcoming training cohort that I have that's starting on March 2nd. This cohort is designed for identity verification solution providers, uh, specifically the go-to-market personnel of those teams. You can learn more about the cohort by going to academy.peakidv.com and check that out. I have some details there. And then for more on this episode, again, if you're listening, we have executiveseries.peakidv.com. But thank you all for listening. Thank you, Mike, for being on the show. And until next time. Thanks, Steve. Take care.